Ladies and gentlemen, this picture contains scenes which under no circumstance should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. Hey, welcome back to Caustic Content, the show where two friends torture themselves and each other in a never-ending quest to find the worst film streaming on the internet. I am Steve Cuff, and joining me as always, my dear friend, Adam Myros. Myros, how you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. Yeah, it has been a real a real day, hell of a day. It's it's not every every episode that we get to sort of binge both films for the episode back to back and then record shortly thereafter. So everything is very fresh in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes uh, when you're trying to find the worst film streaming, uh, you find the best film streaming. Yeah, you do. You do. And, and this is really, we're, we're giving these movies a fair shake. We're just sort of looking at them surface level and then choosing them without a, a lot of prior knowledge. And sometimes you find some gems We've discovered Stephen Grew doing this show, and I think Doug Phillips, one of the directors that we're going to be talking about today, he's in this upper echelon of low-budget auteurs, right alongside Tommy Wiseau and Neil Breen and the like. So thank you for bringing this into my life, Myros. Yeah, yeah. I I had a feeling this might skew in the in a more entertaining direction. I We, we had a, another mishap. As we did with Stephen Grew, oddly enough, apparently. <laughs> yeah, greatness. They're, they're trying to keep greatness down. That's what happens. These are the people who get policed by Amazon, the people who are uh, true treasures. Yeah. Jeff Bezos uh, is a fucking cop. <laughs> so, yeah, we had uh, on the docket, we were supposed to cover a film called Lightning Strikes Twice, which is a Doug Phillips classic well i can only assume having watched his other film I, i'll tell you i guarantee it's great mm -hmm. but uh lightning strikes twice uh we went to watch it yesterday and um as per his facebook as of 4 18 19 lightning strikes twice has been delisted from amazon prime in the u.s and uk with no reason given yeah and then we even tried to be sneaky about it and throw a bone to our international fans by using our respective VPNs to, to try and proxy our way around these geo restrictions. And then Amazon called us out on it. Wouldn't let us do it. Yeah, it's a real tragedy. This film needs to be seen. Yeah. So uh, what we did, uh, we had an easy pivot, thankfully, because Doug Phillips has a fairly prolific output and uh, so we picked another of his movies. Um, seemed like the best way to go about this. So yeah. we watched something called Not Quite Lion Eyes, mm -hmm. which uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to but, it. <laughs> we're we're going to start with, with an appetizer before we get to the main course. But also make sure if you're out there listening, hashtag justice for Doug Phillips, the absolute boy, creator of great films and a man who has been wronged by Amazon. And sometimes you got to push back at the at the big corporate juggernaut. We uh, we often have our mini missions in this podcast, and, and our new mini mission we're, we're going to get this lightning strikes twice back mm -hmm. on Amazon Prime. We did. Uh, we've we've accomplished a few goals. Uh, one, I think we we hate ourselves and we hate movies just a little bit more than we did before we started this. Uh, two, I had a discussion with filmmaker Stephen Grew, and after he heard some of our complaints about one of his films being too long and 
and a bit overstuffed. He actually took it off of Amazon, re-edited it, and put up a, a leaner version. So you, you can enact positive change in the world. And now we are demanding, Jeff Bezos, I know you're listening, we are demanding justice for Doug Phillips. And we'll get to that. But like you mentioned, we need to start things off with my selection for well, this episode. Let's, let's run through the rules for the people. Oh, yeah, for first. the newbies. We got it. Yeah, we should go through the rules. You're right. My mistake. Go ahead, Myros. Ah, uh, we have four rules on this podcast. We're only allowed to use what the streaming service provides us. Uh, usually that's a brief description, uh, about 50-50 on whether you'll get a trailer. Uh, we are also not allowed to use any found footage films intentionally. Uh, just a little too redundant. Uh, no one wants to see a bunch of security camera footage over and over again. Uh, number three is our Godfrey Ho clause, wherein we are only allowed to choose uh, director's work once. Although we may change that because we're pivoting to a format where we're only covering Doug Phillips films from here on out, I think. <laughs> That's all we do. We um, just talk. It's a Doug Phillips podcast now. <laughs> I would have a lot more fun. I'll tell you that. Uh, so number four, it can't be anything either of us have ever seen. Got to come in blind, uh, bring something to the table. And our tentative rule of number five is uh, soft ban on the state of Georgia and their tax credits. Uh, they, they tend to pump out uh, some unwatchable dreck. But we haven't run into that in a little while, so you're still on probation, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, with their, with their recent uh, six-week abortion ban, we might have to be a little firmer on this. I think that's, that's the only way to really push back on that. I mean, we just talked about enacting positive change, right? That's true. We may have to cement this rule permanently. Yeah. Uh, but no, seriously, though, this is this this particular film that I chose. I, I don't know if I hurt myself more with this or if I hurt you more with it, but I, I chose this movie specifically because I've known Adam Myros for years and uh, over a decade, well over a decade, pushing 15 years at this point. And I got to say... One thing that I know he hates is edgelord bullshit. And also, I, I feel like he's been over-encumbered with, with superhero films over the past decade. And he's he's sort of reached his breaking point. So I, of course, had to choose an artsy-fartsy edgelord superhero indie movie, uh, which I figured would push all of the Adam Myros buttons and cause his brain to explode. But, of course, I had to watch it as well. And this may be a caustic content first where my face hurts from scowling at this movie for 90 minutes straight. So, thanks, me. That's great. Really appreciate it. <laughs> but, Myros, what is Land of College Profits? Land of College Profits. Uh, I'm going to go with the Amazon description here. It's very accurate. Uh, Low-level superheroes at a community college have met their match. This is one of the first of quote-unquote backyard superhero subgenre of films predating James Gunn's Super Defendor, as if that's a thing that anyone's ever seen, uh, special and kick-ass uh, exploding rats, uh, welded East children, a Nazi super soldier with diabetes and crabs. I, I don't recall the presence of crabs. Nah, uh, I. maybe I missed something. 
Yeah. These are just a few of the things contained within the rich tapestry that is the land of college profits. <laughs> I, I'm really glad they described this as a rich tapestry. Uh, it's it sure is it sure is a tapestry. That's something. Uh, oh boy, uh, you know when you were watching this, you you shot me a text and you were like, "Imagine if you joined your like college film club and you found out they were making this. Like, what what would your reaction be?" And my thought was immediately like, "I would." I would, within 30 seconds, just turn around and leave and never return. Yeah. Yeah. I might leave college entirely. Yeah, I think I'd drop out. Fuck it, man. Get yourself a factory job. It's better than being around these people. But yeah, Land of College Profits, uh, I don't even know if these guys are in college. They seem to be in their 30s, but... This is this is, even on a college campus? It looked a lot more like a strip mall to yeah, me. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I was I was looking for like a Qdoba sign or maybe like a Fazoli's. Uh, <laughs> there's and at one point there's like a reflection in in the glass. So you could clearly see a CVS. So uh, yeah, I, I think this is a strip mall that's kind of a college. And then there's a few interiors as well. They're in a classroom at some point, so they at least got into a classroom. But I don't know if it's a high school or a college, but. Anyways, this is just, oh boy, uh, it's kind of Avengers-y in that there's a lot of superheroes, but it also has this, like, 90s edgy, like, image comics thing. Like, these guys clearly, like, jerk off to Preacher and uh, Fables, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, what, what's your take on this? You You get into the comics more than I do so I feel like this is more in your realm uh well I've I've read through the run of Preacher I don't know why I guess that the TV show's existence and uh the fact that I didn't think it was very good and it was a pretty acclaimed series and I was like eh let's see what this source material is because I'm not understanding what they're trying to do with the TV show and uh I hate it I think it's pretty terrible but it is absolute fucking lutely 100 what they're trying to do with this film like i virtually guarantee that whoever wrote this thomas edward seymour had just gotten done reading through preacher and thinking it was the fucking greatest thing he'd ever read which is about right because this movie the other thing it evokes strongly to me is a, a very boondock saints vibe which uh i think probably those audiences there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty narrow Venn diagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this uh, preacher is very much just sort of like, there must be something more to it uh, based on its, its critical reception, but I certainly couldn't parse it. For me, it, it was just like extreme, like uh, fucking bullshit edgelord shit jokes like nazis all these things that are like they're so wrong they're hilarious and it's just like no they're not (laughs) we're not fucking 12 years old anymore guys uh and that's what this movie is It, it basically reads like a fan film of preacher uh well before they made a tv series out of it so i guess if you're really into that comic this this might be up your alley but i personally i i find the material to be very tonally confused and incredibly off-putting and immature yeah <laughs> that's putting it lightly i i was struggling with this movie because it it doesn't feel like a standalone film which i think it's supposed to be 
it, it feels like something in a broader cinematic universe. Like there's all this lore and backstory stuff and it's not really well explained or laid out in a way that's easy to understand. But at the same time, it's really, it's just so unnecessarily complicated. And it, it took me a while to even figure out like, why are these guys superheroes? Are they superheroes? I don't get what their thing is. So there's, it should also be said too, before I go do a little rundown of what all these superheroes are, basically the first third of the movie is all exposition. Uh, and there's voice narration over 90, 95% of the film. But even though they're constantly talking at the audience, they, they still can't really lay anything out in a cohesive way. But we've got this group of superheroes. Our two main guys, uh, we mentioned Preacher. There is a, a, a titular Preacher man here as one of the... Tommy. Tommy, yeah. Who is also the main credited director, although this is reportedly directed by the Hale Manor Collective which is some East Coast group of assholes uh, who... Uh, he's also the writer, by the way. He's also yeah. the writer, yeah. So, And based on other things that I've read, this was pretty much directed by all like seven or eight members of this Hale, uh, Hale uh, Manor Collective thing, which I'm guessing all of these people who are playing the superheroes because they're self-indulgent dicks, uh, they're also manners of the, or <laughs> members of the Hale Manor Collective. So we've got the, the preacher man who gruffly tells us, I'm not a real priest. Somebody just gave me this outfit. And he does, he says he does like magic spells and incantations and things like that, although he doesn't really use this power, if you can call it a power, at, at any point really, and maybe once or twice. Mostly he's just punching stuff. He's, uh, he's one of those guys where he looks like he played football in high school and then got fat because he drank too much like Natty Light. Uh, so he's kind of, he kind of looks like a thumb with a red goatee and he's in this, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like clerical shirt and clerical collar with the sleeves ripped off. So, you know, he's tough and he means business and he mostly just punches stuff and drinks whiskey and says, Hey, fucky McFuckerson, I just said fuck and now I'm going to pound your nuts with my fists. That's kind of his Basically, thing. Basically, he is the embodiment of, of what like forms in your mind when the words boondock saints are uttered. Like you, you think to yourself, who could possibly like this movie? And then your mind, it will create this image. And, and that image is Thomas Edward Seymour. That's right. Uh, just un, unbathed, unshaven Catholics with guns and acting revenge and doing edgy things. So, yeah. Shout out to Thomas Edward Seymour. And then we've got another guy who is, I mean, he's like generically handsome uh, he has some muscular definition, you know, like after the first two Mortal Kombat movies in the nineties, they did like two or three direct to video sequels. And this guy looks like he could play like, I don't know, Johnny Cage or something in Mortal Kombat six, uh, you know, a direct to video special. Uh, he kind of dresses like he's in the army, but he's not. Uh, and he also punches stuff, and when people punch him, it doesn't seem to hurt, and that's his superpower. Yeah, that's, that's like, most people's superpower in this movie. Mm -hmm. They have, like, uh, again, more more of the tactical gear from last episode is, is showing up. Yeah. And that, that counts as a superpower, I think. If you wear, like, a, 
a, a vest with many pockets. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's your superpower. It's good. I mean, for all the WWE fans out there, it's got a real like Roman Reigns look going here. Uh, just, you know, tactical well, vest. Outfit wise. Yeah. Yes. Outfit wise. Outfit wise. Uh, build wise, just generic white guy. And yeah, this, this is, they all punch people hard and can get punched until they can't. That's, that's basically their thing. Uh, then there is another guy who, again, his whole thing is punching stuff and spitting. He likes to spit. And he's got two things wrapped, like one thing wrapped around each arm. I, I think like the idea behind this character would be he would roll these things into his sleeves like a greaser, but he's wearing like a undershirt, like wife beater thing. He's got a pack of cigarettes on one arm and a pack of playing cards on the other arm. And this character cool. being a, yeah, a very clear analog for uh, the vampire Cassidy in uh, in Preacher. Yeah, and I really like this guy a lot because, you know, not everybody can pull off an accent from a place you've never been. But this guy has the worst Irish accent I have ever heard in my entire life. Like, not even to the point where it's like, oh, it's hilariously exaggerated, like he's just mimicking the a Lucky Charms commercial, or like when you and I make fun of fellow Optimism Vaccine contributor Jack Eason. Like, there's, there's nothing... It, it's insane how bad it is. I've never heard a worse Irish accent. And the fact that he even has to have one is kind of odd to me, except for the fact that personality-wise, he's so identical to the the two aforementioned characters that I guess in order to set him apart from everyone else, he has to have the worst Irish accent. Well, how else would he translate that Gaelic passage that saves the day at the end of the yeah, That's true. That's true. And then there's another guy who is a college prophet, but he doesn't seem to hang out with the other college prophets. And he's just your like generic Eastern religious like monk type character uh, does a lot of kung fu shit. Uh, that's that's about his thing. Very zen, and he comes into play a little bit. Uh, that's that's all that we know about him. There's a I woman. Guess he's like their mentor or something. I don't sort know. of, kind of, but not really. I mean, maybe. Uh, there's a woman named Bells. That's plural. Bells, multiple bells. It was a white girl with dreadlocks. Great look for anyone. And her superpower is dying. That's all she does. And then yeah, she, gets, she gets fridged. Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, you need a great woman in the refrigerator trope example. This is about it. She is uh, a, a love interest for both men, tears apart their friendship, dies, and allegedly has a superpower, but we, we never see that. Other than being another a, very uh, yeah, a another <laughs> could be another very clear uh, preacher analog here with the the character of Tulip mm -hmm. doesn't really do much. And then I, I guess the other character here is there's like a cop who seems to be like an enemy of them for the entire movie until the end when he's not, and his superpower is he's a cop, right? That's it. Yes. Oh, he's not he even has, a cop. He also, he's like a, a security guard or something. He's like Paul Blart Mall Cop. I believe he has the exact same uh, character arc as, as Paul Blart Mall Cop. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Is He's like a useless mall cop who just follows all the rules until some big shit goes down, and then he really breaks out and 
becomes a hero. So Yeah, and he always wanted to join the police force, but he couldn't pass the test. Yeah, exactly. Exactly the same as Paul Blart. Mm-hmm. Paul Bar- Blart, mall prophet. And then the bad guys here are a dude who clearly juices, and he's supposed to be like the Incredible Hulk, but a Nazi? Yes, with the, the great name. Third Reich Jones is his name. Yes. Yeah, and then there's... Uh, I don't know, like a fat guy in a raincoat and then some other generic people and some pink ninjas that they fight. And that's that's pretty much the whole crew. Am I missing anybody? Well, isn't uh, isn't the the professor supposed to be one of the college prophets as well? Maybe. See, I, I couldn't I couldn't really figure that out. Like he they he's like friends with them, but I don't know if he has these superpowers. I don't know if any of these people actually have superpowers or if they're like what is what is what does it mean to be a college prophet what what is the thing that like binds these people together yeah no that that's the failure of the narrative uh i mean there, i suppose there's many failures in the narrative yeah the, right that's <laughs> i think there's a few more than just one i think that's the heart of it though like i don't know what the fuck that that means uh, the movie is like 70% voiceover narration and yet, I have no concept of, of what you're intuiting with this term, college prophets. There's all these stories of college. Is it some sort of organization? Is it just... I I have no fucking idea. I don't know if any of these people are supposed to have powers or if they're just preordained for some purpose in this tale. But uh, who the fuck knows? Yeah. I mean, and, and other than the fact that they... They fight Nazi Hulk, who is clearly bad. Uh, there's nothing really to indicate that these guys are even good guys. Like they're kind of fucking dicks, right? So they're well, they're mean the to everyone. Is- they 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 fight everyone. They uh, at one point they stand in front of like a, a fucking insurance agency at a Walgreens or something that's supposed to be a college, and then they say that everybody should eat bacon because it's good have some epic bacon and then they throw pig blood on people. Uh, I see. This is another preacher thing though, where there, there are no real heroes or villains. Per se. I guess there's just like shades of shitheads. And it's like, well, no one wants to fucking watch a movie about shades of shitheads to an extent. It's like, who the fuck am I supposed to be getting behind in this narrative? Yeah, well, it's and none of like, these people oh. are interesting or fleshed out at all either. So maybe I could get behind one of them if, you know, there is something likable about them or there was something interesting about them, but they're all pretty flat as far as characters go. There's just a lot of talking. It's just a lot of talking. It's like a bad LARPing session. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they even this Third Reich Jones fellow doesn't really seem to be. I mean, other th- that's really, again, this movie. It doesn't really connect any dots, but he's mentioned in voiceover in the intro as being created by Nazis, but he's also just working at a scrapyard at, near a community college and is like 20 years old. So I, I don't know what that fucking means, uh, but he's not even like engaged in any villainy. He's just kind of like working a job, living his life. And the only reason he turns evil is because of the actions of our protagonists uh i don't know they get in a fight over this woman and turn an evil well to poison the town 
uh again a very preacher-esque sort of plot uh yeah but this well turns third reich jones into its uh, its vessel of yeah. sorts and he he becomes painted blue because of uh diabetes i don't know i don't know this movie fucking sucks yeah i don't it's, yeah yeah the whole idea behind this is like so there's this evil well <laughs> Like you said, and then it, it yeah. supposedly poisons the town and is turning like, oh, the police stopped showing up to work and everybody's dying and the hospitals are full. But there's no indication that this is happening other than the college prophets keep telling us this in their voiceover narration. But everything seems fine. Like nothing in the world indicates that there's mass chaos or, or death or, or anything like that. Well, I don't think they had the... Uh the means to pull such a thing off. You yeah, see which like is fine, but, but then, three extras laying on the ground and uh, uh, like the two leads vomit occasionally. Yeah. But it's and like third Reich Jones pees blood all over the place. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it's like, so uh, why, why do you make that? If you can't do that, why is that part of your narrative? Like why? And, and then the solution to all this is, they have to like punch more people and then plant trees. And if they plant the trees and punch the people, then the world is saved. And eventually they do. The end. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> yeah, there. The, the whole the whole driving action of the third act is that they're trying to undo this problem that they created entirely uh, by carrying around this sapling and protecting it uh, for reasons. Apparently, this sapling is going to uh, pull the evil from the well, and then I don't, I don't fucking have any idea. Yeah, All I, I no know clue. is that every scene centers around them carrying this tiny tree around and trying to plant it in the middle of this strip mall and a bunch of people, like, attacking them. Yeah. That's that's pretty much it. But yeah, I, I don't none of this is is I can't I can't put into words how cringy all this is like it's it's dumb and it goes nowhere and nothing happens. But just the edginess like this movie thinks it's so fucking funny and it thinks it's so fucking cool. And there's there's nothing. This is like these guys probably dressed like fucking Neo from the Matrix every day because they thought they looked badass. And the year is like 2005. Like that's that's what these guys are. They're fucking dorks who need to like swing their dicks around because they're you know their fucking fragile egos were uh, shattered because someone once told them that D and D was lame and they couldn't really you know have enough confidence in themselves to just be like fuck off. So now they have to put all their edge lordness into a film. These guys are all like, they've got to be the most insufferable people alive. And I'm glad that they, they made this movie because otherwise they just, I don't know what the fuck they would be doing, but you know, if, if this was made, if these people were still around, they'd probably be like alt-right personalities in like the, the world of video game and comics, Twitter or something. This is, they're, they're fucking trash. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand these people. Uh, I don't think I'd want to hang out with them. That's for fucking sure. I don't. I don't know if I can get much of a a sense of their 
politics or anything of that nature. I, I, I might not impugn them to the level that you do. I really just think they're fucking comic con schmucks. Yeah. Who, who fucking got way too into preacher and, you know, had access to a couple of fucking shitty cameras from their community college film class. And, uh, this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, for a while, I just, I thought that I, cause sometimes you watch some of these things and it's like, ah, oh, you know, like I feel bad for these people. They're trying really hard and they're doing something and it just didn't turn out right. And there's some sincerity, but these guys are, are kind of full of shit. And I, I had this feeling that they were, you know, maybe shitheads on top of it, like in real life. Cause you have to separate these characters in this movie and the, and the film they've created from who they might actually be. Uh, and then I went on Amazon. I started reading the reviews for their film. Uh, there's some people that are like, fuck this. Obviously, it's terrible. And then there's some other people that are like, it's a great indie movie. I like this and that. And you're like, who the fuck are these people? What did they watch? And then it starts to make sense because you see this. Uh, this is a review from some guy named John B. from December 17, 2005. Uh, also, this movie was released in 2005, even though it's listed as like a 2019 movie, which is kind of weird, but whatever. So, John B. says, I actually worked on this movie. Well, briefly. I worked as a grip for the classroom scenes, but only for a few days because I simply could not stomach the out-of-control egos of the Hale Manor Collective. I also have to point out something very shady going on here. A few days ago, someone posted an honest review of this movie that the Collective did not agree with. Uh, quick side note, the reviewer hit the nail on the head in saying that the reviews came from the people involved with the movie. Positive reviews, I'm assuming he's referencing. When the DVD's listing first appeared here on Amazon, an email was sent out to everyone who worked on the movie to post reviews. When the negative review was posted, another email was sent out telling us to, quote, bury it. The good reviews that are on this page are not honest. They are all phony and posted by various members of the Hale Manor Collective. And frankly, that really stinks and is really unprofessional. So guys, face the facts. You made a lousy movie and somebody called you on it. Grow up. And if you do, if you go through and you find these five-star uh, five reviews on the movie and you kind of like click on these people's names, you'll see that this is basically the only thing that they've reviewed. So it's kind of like, hmm. And then if you go over to IMDb, things get a little more shady. So... There are <laughs> a bunch of negative reviews, and they're not removed, but they're, but they're sort of buried. And the way that they're buried is they've been tagged with spoilers. So what IMDb does is if it says like one out of ten, you don't really like see that. You, you just see it just says one out of ten, and then the title of the review... And then it just says warning spoilers. You don't actually get the review itself. So all of these like one out of 10 reviews are given spoiler tags by people. Uh, gee, I wonder who voted to have those on there. And then they're sort of buried in, in the film reviews. So the lesson here is these people are fucking assholes and they made a shitty movie and they're trying to bury reviews of people who worked on the film and were treated badly and other people who watched it and like us were like, this fucking sucks. So... Shout out to the Hale Manor Collective. You're kind of assholes. Uh, well, they missed one. They missed one. Uh, There's a one-star review that has not been blanked out for spoilers, unfortunately. Mm. Um, what the fuck could be a spoiler in this movie anyways? Spoilers. It fucking sucks. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it like, somehow gets worse in this movie I'm missing. <laughs> 
spoiler, it won't make any more sense than the first, like, 30 seconds of the film. Spoiler, you won't learn anything about these characters. Spoiler, you'll be clenching your teeth in pain the entire time. I don't know what to say. Uh, well, and then you sort of, you, you did a little digging and you found out the Hale Manor Collective, I don't know if it's dissolved, seems likely considering this was years ago, 14 years ago, almost 15 years ago. Uh, there's, there doesn't seem to be much Hale Manor Collective around, but what, what's the name of the guy that, that directed it? Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, what's his name? Uh, his name is uh, Thomas Edward Seymour. Okay, I was close. So Thomas Edward Seymour, the thumb with the goatee. He, he has a YouTube channel with quite the following on it. And, and what, what is our, our boy up to here? What is, what is our cinematic genius doing these days? Well, uh, G4 TV's attack of the show labeled uh, this Black 20 comedy troupe uh, the kings of dot comedy. Um, oh, boy. Basically, <laughs> basically, it's an insane cringe nightmare of, of things that passed as funny when the Internet didn't know what how to make like videos on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of like trailer re-edits and fucking trash garbage bullshit and it's it's the worst it's all the worst but uh you know they they don't have any subscribers these days they have like twenty four thousand, which is oh, yeah. pretty insubstantial in the grand scheme but sure you know most of these videos are a decade old mm-hmm. so they they kind of they kind of had a thing going at some point it lost uh, a little momentum right they have they have a video on their channel that has 10 million views and oh, it Lord. is a a PG version of the 300 trailer, which uh, again, it is, it is not funny. It It is as unfunny as you, you could imagine. It is, it, it's just a bunch of like lollipops edited in everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, fuck. It's awful. The internet used to be even worse than it is now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess it, well, I, I don't know if it's any worse, but it certainly was different, but th- this was a good way to like game the algorithm. It still is to a, degree where you put out a trailer for a movie that people think is coming but isn't actually out yet so then when they search for it they think they found the actual trailer this happens a lot with mcu stuff uh and this is something that they cashed in on because it's like oh iron man 4 trailer and it's just like a wacky mashup of iron man and like rocky 4 it's great right yeah so that's basically this Black 20 Collective or 20 uh, Studios, sorry, not Collective. The other one's the Collective. Is It's two things, essentially. It is really, really terrible short-form uh, sketch and uh, trailer re-edits. It's just like no. uh, transforming footage into other things that are hilarious, but it really... It's fucking awful. Yeah, sure. I, I, maybe it's not fair to say the internet is worse than it was ten years ago, but or, or is better than it was ten years ago. Sorry, uh, but YouTube certainly is. Mm-hmm. Uh, people know how to make videos these days, and this is an era where nobody nobody did. And uh, how, something like this piece of shit edit can get uh, ten million views. Yeah, and that's that's not really the case these days. And, and this seems to be kind of career arc for a lot of these people who came up in the era of maybe early digital or like DV cam indie films. Uh, and they didn't have the chops to really break into the industry. They went the way they wanted to. And so they end up making things that are unintentionally funny. And then I feel like everybody laughs at them. 
So then they're like, well, I'm going to call what I make comedy now. And then you're supposed to laugh. So everything will be good. And then the difference is, is they make things that are supposed to be funny, but then no one's laughing. And there you are. Yeah. I mean, what is uh, like labeling the land of college profits as like James Gunn esque? Not that I'm some huge fan of a lot of his early stuff. I think it's mostly dog shit, but uh, that's not really the tone this movie's going for. No. Uh, I mean, much like something with Preacher, it, it is going to like attempt to make you chuckle sometimes, but it's mostly just through like vulgar non sequiturs. But uh, the overall tone is, is very... Uh, self-serious it, it, it seems to you know it, it's about this uh apocalypse scenario almost it's it's mm-hmm. not a it's not a comedy no no not at all yeah and, and their idea of like oh it's funny it's just because yeah it's a very self-serious movie and, uh, and the level of self-serious here too is like it, it's fucking 12 year old self-serious <laughs> like i think it starts with like an albert einstein quote and then halfway through the movie all of a sudden there's just like a an interlude card and it has like a robert frost quote on it oh yeah but it's listed as like the quote is attributed to robert lee frost and then underneath it it says writer (laughs) which is the level of fucking stupid that we're dealing with here so great job guys you're you're awesome shout out to the hail manor collective uh woof i uh... I, I mean, I don't know. This this movie is going to get savaged in comparison to our other movies, certainly. But I I think on an average episode, uh, this might have a hard time uh, winning because I it's obnoxious. And the tone of this movie is just not for me. I mean, there are, again, many smart comic historians, critics who think that something like Preacher is like, really good has a lot to say about the genre for me i'm cringing when i read the thing and i'm cringing when i watch the tv show and i'm cringing when i watch this zero budget fan film and uh i'm sure that there are people who will watch this and and be entertained and i don't think it is lower echelon for the stuff we're doing here i think it's kind of middle of the pack it's just whatever but (laughs) you know when, when it goes up against the a masterwork it's bound to look like uh, complete shit in comparison sure sure and i i guess that's a good transition into our our next film which uh you know and this happens from time to time when you're when you're looking for the worst sometimes you come up with the best and myros i i think you've uncovered the citizen kane of direct to amazon prime faith-based filmmaking uh with <laughs> A beautiful film that it, it was a ringer. Honestly, this wasn't even supposed to be what we were going to watch. And it, it turned out to be a masterwork. And this is Not Quite Lion Eyes by Doug Phillips, writer-director. Uh, this might be my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's up there for me. I was thinking about that. I'm like, where does this kind of like rank in my all-time top 10? Because it is definitely up there. But <laughs> when we think about like, okay, so what is Not Quite Lion Eyes? Uh, Brenda, played by Donna Marie Beard, is a good nurse, but lacks self-confidence. Her boyfriend, Connor, who's attributed to the actor H.T. Altman, who I believe is presidential candidate 
uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, and I won't be told otherwise. This is clearly a pseudonym. If you watch the movie, there's it's a, it's a one to one. There's there's no way it's not him. Anyways, <laughs> he steers her towards a home care job for rich but disabled former Green Beret Logan Trotter, <laughs> who is played by our writer director Doug Phillips. Despite a poor interview, Trotter and his head nurse Lois offer her the position. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. You're telling me, really burying the fucking lead here, Doug. Whoa. Well, I don't know boy. how you could, could write a couple sentence synopsis of this masterwork. Yeah, you, you really can't. You can't encapsulate this in, in a few short sentences. This is, I mean, I, I don't even know. There's a lot going on in this one, and I will say... The thing that really pushes it forward, and this is this is a good thing for any movie that sort of transcends what it could be and becomes something special, truly special and one of a kind. I was consistently surprised at where this movie went and the things that were happening. It is, uh, from a tactical standpoint, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> from a narrative standpoint, it's completely outlandish. And it is a nonstop just surprise barrage just a twist at every possible you know turn here this is i i i don't even know what to do with this myros i i can't i can't even put this into words well you know i thought i thought doug phillips had potential to backfire on me to an extent but in a way that i'm totally fine with because my god the joy but i'm like okay this this has potential to be some good stuff, but uh, the the film we were originally going to choose, Lightning Strikes Twice, had a runtime pushing two and a half hours, mm-hmm. and this movie has a runtime at at two hours. And I'm like, wow, it can't it can't hold up. It's gonna get to the point where it's just like, oh, enough already, Jesus Christ, and that's gonna be a, a big advantage. But your movie was 80 minutes long, and this was two hours. And, I, I wish this was three hours. Let's keep yeah. it coming. I, I, I would never. Uh, I never grew tired of this thing. It just, no, it was. I mean, uh, uh, Russo brothers, take note. <laughs> <laughs> Avengers Endgame could uh, could have used some help from Doug Phillips here because the guy knows how to really really uh, move a narrative along. I mean, uh, this yeah. is every minute of joy. So there's there's kind of like there's there's two things main things that are going on in this movie. And there's sort of these parallel narratives that intersect at, at different points in the film. But the main idea is this guy, Connor, is engaged to uh, this woman, Brenda. Sort of. They, they sort become of. engaged at the beginning of the film after having known each other for one month. Yeah. And basically, she, she loses her job as a nurse for... Some vague reasons. I guess there were some complaints lodged against her nursing. Well, we'll find out later. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so Connor, we find out, also owes money to the mob. And these guys all have great names. Like, like I the don't kingpin. know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the main mob guy's like, call me the kingpin. And then the other guy who's his enforcer is like, I'd call me the enforcer. <laughs> It's like these these are placeholders. You're supposed to come up with better names here, but we'll take it, sure. And 
they we come to find out that Connor owes them like two hundred thousand dollars or something for gambling debts, and that they're they're gonna kill him. But he's like, no, I have this really great plan where instead of you killing me or me giving you the money that I owe you, I'm going to take my fiance, have her interview for this job as a home caretaker for a disabled billionaire veteran. And then because she happens to look like his ex-wife, they will get married eventually and she will inherit his fortune and then I will marry her and then I will pay you off and and he's going to die soon because he's old, so this is a good idea. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, well, maybe he's going to die soon because he has AIDS. Yeah, well, he does, uh, yeah, AIDS plays a big role in this movie. A lot of AIDS going on. Uh, not to spoil too much, but this movie is a little more AIDSy than you think it is. And a little less and a little more. <laughs> a little less and a little more. And uh, but but like and all of this is playing out. So there's like the billionaire's house, and there's this this scumbag Connor who throughout this entire thing we find out oh he's in trouble with the mob and he's constantly banging women, including underage high school girls, constantly, and he has like a secret child, and all these things are happening. But the entire movie with the exception of the opening shot, which is like outside, and a few shots at a gas station, the entire movie takes place inside of one house. That includes like a hospital birth scene. That includes the, the mob office, which is somebody's attic that is looks comically small compared to these mobsters, so it's like this weird like David Lynch fucking framing. Uh, it's, it's the billionaire's house, it's Connor's house, it's everything. Everything is in this one house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which may or may not be the house he's in establishing shots. Who could say? It might be shittier than that house. Uh, that seems like a distinct possibility to me. But uh, anyhow, this... Uh, I, I, I gotta have to slow it down a bit. We gotta go a little a little scene by scene to start things out. Because, sure, and, uh, and if you're listening right now, stop listening for a second. Pause this, go on Amazon, look up Not Quite Lion Eyes. That's Lion L-Y-I-N apostrophe. Not Quite Lion Eyes. Just watch this. You got It's 119 minutes. Go, go watch this movie. And then come back to us. Just pause it right here. But anyways, go yeah. on, Myros. <laughs> You're going to say that's a big commitment. No, trust me. You, you'll be happy you did. Uh, yeah, so the movie opens with hilariously. I already was like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. This is so good. Because it's a tracking shot following our, our main character, uh, the nurse Brenda, as she's walking down the street in distress, but clearly they're filming this from a car and the car is outpacing Brenda. So they're trying to do this continuous tracking shot of her walking like three blocks and they have to stop it twice. And, and so it's three shots stitched together because the car was outpacing her the entire time. And, uh, they also, at no point in any of the three shots, managed to get her in focus in, in the in the frame at all. She's just completely blurred out the whole time. So it yeah. is, uh, yeah, I was like, okay. And, okay, and it's great, too, because this is a, a really good example of sort of uh, contemporary low-budget digital filmmaking where this is shot in, like, 1080p or whatever, really high resolution. So... 
there's a crispness to everything, but also the whatever camera he's using or his iPhone or whatever, it's not focusing on the right things. So it, it's it, there's this extra layer of just like creepiness and weirdness because everything in this film is so sharp all of the time, but then random things just fly out of focus. You're like, what? What the fuck is going on? Uh, it's it's oh. it's a little unnerving. Fits the tone of the film. <laughs> or they'll occasionally use less than high res uh, cut-ins, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to in a couple different instances. Uh, but yeah, so if we move on narratively to where I was like, okay, I'm on board with this too, uh, it's because when they're having this conversation, and and he says he asked her to marry him after he finds out that she's lost her job. Um, she says yes, even though he doesn't have a ring and they've only known each other for a month. And she's concerned about getting a, a new job. She doesn't want any gaps in her resume. But she's like, well, I don't know if I want to take a job with this eccentric uh, green beret. But mm-hmm. uh, And, you know, we have a nest egg. We, we'll get by for a few months. And he's like, well, no, I spent all my nest egg on this uh, illegitimate child I have that I didn't tell you about. Which is, it turns out a lie, but nonetheless, oh, she's totally cool with it, regardless. Yeah, though. yeah. If you had, if you had known someone for a month, and were swept off your feet, but didn't really know anything about them, and then you impulsively were like, "Yeah, I, I could marry you," mm-hmm. and then immediately this information came out, wouldn't you be like, "Well, never mind." <laughs> yeah, it's this was like a terrible a, mistake. <laughs> big thing to cover up to not really get into. <laughs> So, yeah, at that point, I'm like, well, this is going off the rails in every direction. And uh, getting away from the scene by scene a bit, if you think this setup sounds convoluted, uh, the boyfriend sets up his his fiance to get this job because she's a dead ringer for this eccentric rich guy's dead wife. Uh, and thinks that she could somehow get in with him and uh, inherit his fortune so that he can pay off his mob debts in some distant time in the future. Does that sound convoluted to you? Uh, It gets way worse. Like, the reality of this situation is that this guy, unrelated to this, uh, this fictionalized illegitimate child he has just invented for this to cover up his gambling debts, I suppose... Uh, has actually, he was dating a totally separate woman in the employ of the eccentric, uh, rich green beret, uh, and conspired with her upon impregnating her to get this random woman fired from her nursing job. And then employ, like they bribe Several candidates, they they also get a, another nurse in the employ of this uh, Green Beret fellow fired uh, at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. Then they bribe uh, every other candidate uh, who applies for the position uh, in order to get her this job. They don't know her. They, they've only, I think that the two nurses ran into each other because she... Uh, I, I, it was just a coincidence. So a coincidental... if, you're, if you're following along at home, the long and short of this, yeah, well, good luck, first of all. Second, this actually gets more twisty-turdy and ridiculous, but the main takeaway here is this is the sort of 
<laughs> script that is so convoluted and ridiculous, it makes like Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau seem restrained and concise in their approach to screenwriting. Yeah, they literally found a woman who looks like this ex-wife and then conspired to get her and another person fired, her an interview, uh, her pushed into position, and then I I don't even... And then, oh, they also fabricated the entire relationship between the two. Ah, Jesus Christ. Who who could write that? It, it, it's it, it's labyrinthine. It, I I can't I can't even I can't even. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild, and you know a, as this is progressing, I guess there's there's two things that are going on simultaneously. Uh, one, this this Connor guy, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, he is just taking old hookers every night, like that's his thing, which. You know, maybe the movie could have showed us that a few times, or since this movie takes place over the course of like 25 years or something, uh, maybe they could have showed it to us, you know, once every time segment that he's still doing these things. But it's it's really, it's just every other scene is a cutaway to him bringing home a new hooker. So that's his thing. And uh, not just any hookers, because he likes... I, I guessing they're supposed to be underage because he pays them in cartons of cigarettes. Yes. And in fact, later in the movie, the babysitter who he is paying cash uh, decides that she needs to make more money and wants to be uh, upgraded to the carton of cigarettes sex brigade, mm -hmm. which I, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. what's the I exchange rate on those? <laughs> I guess cigarettes add up a bit, but man, I think I'd rather just get the paycheck. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd probably go with the paycheck. It's a little more versatile, you know, unless unless you're in prison and you need some trading currency. But, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, so that's going on. And then also the nurse who starts working for the old billionaire Vietnam vet, she actually finds herself liking him, and he finds himself liking her. So, you know, it's all part of Cotter's plan, but it seems like they have a tighter bond than he intended. Yes, Connor's plan involves... So they had their own conspiracy that was... Even though she was being conspired against, she thought she was conspiring with to dupe this man out of his fortune. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, they, they fall in love, I guess. It, 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 well, time, and, and, time who, just sort of passes. Yeah, it, it does. And who could not fall in love with the old-ass Vietnam vet? Because uh, one... It's played by Doug Phillips himself, of course, yeah, yeah. which that's great, too, because we get to see like a woman who's clearly in like her early or mid 30s just making out with Grandpa Moses here in the most disgusting way possible. Uh, just a lot of sloppy tongue kisses between yeah. a normal woman, and a little like goblin man. Doug uh, Phillips, just he kind of looks like Richard Dreyfus playing like when he played Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of his look. So yeah. not great. A little cringy, but she loves him regardless. And also we find out, whoops, he's got AIDS. <laughs> Which is yeah, just no, sort of dropped is, in there out of nowhere. This is a, a pretty insane fucking scene. Yeah. She's, so <laughs> she's been working for him. And this is the first time we see her doing nurse work. So there's no reason to s establish this bungle of a time frame where she's like drawing blood and he's like, why aren't you wearing gloves? You got to wear gloves. I have AIDS. 
And she's like, what the fuck? I've been working for you for three weeks. Why did you, you think you could have mentioned that? He's like, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I forgot the AIDS part. You know, the part where I have it and I didn't tell you. Uh, yeah, that's super weird. Just super weird. Why would you say that? Why do we have this three weeks slide in here? Wouldn't it be like, first day on the job. Yeah. Better get you this information. Or maybe, maybe it's of, uh, in his file, you know, his medical file. It's like, here's the aids part. And then he also goes in this whole thing about how he's worried that his nurses are going to steal his fluids, <laughs> his aids fluids, and make, I don't know what, like steal his sperm and impregnate themselves or something. Yes, that's... Okay, which, is, so. which is weird too because it's like how would that even ha- you can't just like slurp out his sperm are you gonna just like honk him off while he's in his wheelchair and you get a sedative what do you what are you doing how does this work it i guess i that's his fear his fear is that uh greedy women are going to uh steal his sperm and impregnate themselves or steal his blood in, in order to fabricate some trumped up assault charge yeah. in order to get his money i mean um, and, and I, I i have the same problem i think this is a typical fear among uh you know the american male is that someone's gonna come in they're gonna they're gonna steal my blood and most of all they're gonna jack me off while i'm asleep and then they're gonna have a bunch of my children and what am i gonna do they're going to sue well, me for child support. Clearly, uh, we've got a solution, thanks to Doug Phillips. Yeah. All you have to do is uh, tell everyone that you have AIDS. Yeah. So that's that's what you do. Men, if you're out there, this is a real, real worry, a real concern that normal humans with normal brains have. So make sure any woman or medical professional or just stranger on the, on, you know, the bus, public transport of any kind, just let everybody know that you have AIDS, whether or not you do. Uh, correct. Yeah. So, uh, spoiler, he doesn't actually have AIDS. He just tells people that because he's insane. <laughs> Which is another gang to us. Cause when he just is like, oh, by the way, I have AIDS. You're like, what? And then he's like, oh, by the way, I actually don't have AIDS. And you're like, what? And then it gets weirder because she's like, cool. You don't have AIDS. We can bang now. But they don't, <laughs> they don't bang for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like their fifth anniversary. He's like, it might even be before that. It might be like their wedding night or something where he's like, yeah, I don't have AIDS. That was this bullshit. And then they they have sex on their 10-year anniversary. Yeah, it's great. And, well, and, so and the, the, he... wedding, the wedding to the 10-year anniversary jump happens pretty quickly. And the wedding yeah, they scene... Skip to the, they skip to the five years so we could give her uh, Lincoln Logs. Yeah, the Lincoln Log <laughs> gift. That's really good. Uh, but yeah, like the wedding scene is great because one... The whole wedding thing seems ridiculous. Two, there's this scene where she's in the bathroom, like going to put on her wedding dress. And the way the camera is set up, there's like a, it's like a shotgun mic or a boom mic, but it's not on like a a boom mic pole. It's just like duct taped above the bathroom door and clearly in frame. And then for some reason during the sequence, I don't know if he like literally sneezed on his camera or if this was intentional, but there's like a dirt filter over it, so everything looks really <laughs> grimy for a minute. And then, and then they have this weird wedding ceremony in the living room where every conversation between her and the billionaire happens. Like he just literally was just like, "Well, you know, I sit here all day in my wheelchair. Uh, definitely not gonna move for this wedding, so we're gonna do this right here." 
and it's weird. It's super weird. It's a very uncomfortable <laughs> wedding. Took down a lot of notes. Probably going to incorporate that into you know my future wedding. So a lot, a lot of good stuff going on. But then when they do finally bang, this is the greatest love scene in the history of cinema. Mark it right here. This is the high point. This is the high watermark. Nothing will ever get better than this because Doug Phillips, bless his heart, you know, someone once said to him, you know, uh, making love to someone, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like you see fireworks. And he took that metaphor. It was just like, what if Doug Phillips make metaphor real? And so he took like the Windows 95 fireworks screensaver. And during their love scene, there's like literal fireworks overlaid on top of the the love seed and it's amazing it's i've never seen anything better in my entire life it's oh oh my god it's so good it's so good and incomprehensibly amazing it it is so good everything around the wedding and yeah you would think the wedding to 10 years would be like a long portion of a two-hour film but it's really not so if we if we start just before the wedding where she say they're getting married by the way it's it's meant to be a loveless uh, marriage he's entrusting her with his his fortune when he dies because he's gonna die soon even though he doesn't have AIDS I don't know what the fuck's actually wrong with him uh, I guess he's paralyzed but this it doesn't seem to be any like impending death even though we're led to believe there is uh, maybe that's because he told everyone on earth he has AIDS. Um, yeah, but so leading up to the wedding, which is that magic Johnson money though, man. Yeah. It's a marriage of convenience. And she, she tries to address this with her father. (laughs) And this is an amazing scene, uh, where she talks about how she hates her father because when she went through puberty, uh, he didn't want her to sit on his lap anymore. (laughs) Uh, and he's just a cranky old man and is like, gah, 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 gah. I should buy you a red dress for your wedding, you whore. And it's like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I get it. And then she goes back to Doug Phillips and uh, yeah, has a real emotional scene where she's like, and he wouldn't let me sit on his lap. And then this is where some of the editing starts to go hog wild. It's, <laughs> it's just a straight shot. Of them having a conversation. And a lot of this is two camera for no fucking reason at all. So we get random cutaways to angles that make no sense uh, and shouldn't be in the movie. But this this has a cut in for, I don't even think it's a full second. It's just, it's almost spliced in where it's just this close up super grain of their their two hands clasped. And it's like, what, what the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, seriously. And this is... This is the sort of thing that really starts to crop up in the back half of this movie like mm-hmm. crazy. I, I, my favorite one is it involves uh, our our good friend Connor and his his young son. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's grown and is now played by like a 12-year-old. Well, no, this is when he's still a baby. Oh, still a baby. Okay. Uh, so still a baby. This is right around that same period of the film. I think it's about 10 minutes later. We have... Uh, Connor and the nurse who uh, he had knocked up and she she has now had a, a child while wearing blue jeans. Um, yeah. So the, her, her birth scene, instead of just like, <laughs> you know, maybe not having a birth scene for her and then there's just a baby because we knew she was pregnant. Uh, yes. They instead 
are shooting in like what I assume is just like a spare room inside of the one house they're shooting in, and they just put a white sheet over a futon, and then there's two people standing around her in doctor's coats, and then she's just laying on the futon going like, ah, and then she's just wearing jeans, like pushing a baby out, which is weird. You will note that they had access to a pregnant woman. I mean, not the same woman, but yeah. Like actually there, pregnant. There's like actual authentic <laughs> pregnant belly, authentic pregnancy in this film, which is weird too. Cause it's like, man, we really got to show this, but we're also not gonna worry about like actually shooting this in something resembling a hospital room of any sort. I mean, maybe it was a home birth, but the whole like jeans on thing, although I guess it was probably better that she had her jeans on. Cause she, I mean, it wasn't a very big futon, so she probably would have shot that thing out right off the edge. So could have happened. Uh, so around about after this child is born, uh, Connor in, again, the only scene that he partakes in, he is philandering with a high school age kid. No, actually, this is an older woman and they make a point of it. Uh, when his his lover, uh, the mother of his child comes home and gets angry about it. And uh, she she has some line about, oh, because the, the woman who Connor is sleeping with says, oh, I didn't realize you had a maid. And she says, uh, do, you, do you see these toys around here? And and Doug Phillips, my man, he fucking has this cutaway of like, it, it looks like about a 200 by 200 pixel image that that suddenly fills the frame of, of like two rattles sitting on a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, again, oh, it's just one of these like Doug. one second one the second it's absolute boy <laughs> it's like we really needed to edit that one in eh? <laughs> yeah it's important it really brought the scene together yep yep so oh my gosh so all these things are happening and then uh, time is passing this is like 25 years almost 30 years of like time passage well and i think it's i think it's actually 21 years 20 21 years okay and in this period of time <laughs> so his his son is young and then there's this weird montage of him trying to be a dad, but also like, oops, I'm still bringing home hookers. And you think there's going to be some redemption arc for him? Yeah, and I was then, like, what the fuck's he still doing in this movie? Like, they they got they fell in love, they got married. Yeah. At the although a lot of this period is, is so strange because the next thing is that five year anniversary where they like have a romantic moment. The the. the I don't even know what the hell the character's name is, but we're going to say Doug Phillips. Yeah. So Doug and uh, Brenda, the nurse, they're married for five years and they, they suddenly have a romantic moment where they're kind of like, yeah, I love you. I love you too. This isn't a marriage of convenience anymore. And they kiss mm -hmm. and there's discussion about his penis working. So you're like, okay, now they're fucking. Yeah. But no, they, they don't fuck for another five years. No. Five <laughs> years to, to dust the cobwebs off that thing. So, yeah, then we move on to this uh, Connor segment where he's he's doing his dad thing. Yeah. And he's uh, it, this is weird, too, because uh, unless it's supposed to be like a red herring, like you think he's going to have a redemption arc, I guess. That's the idea behind this. But the, the kid is uh, the kid just witnesses all of his dumb bullshit with the hookers and stuff. And this is just going on like throughout the entire movie, it's like the actual narrative is happening and they just feel the need to cut back to this character who's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's like, couldn't you have just done this by showing him in the beginning doing these things and then bringing him back towards the end of the movie and just showing him doing it still so he hasn't changed? You don't need to show us at like every interval, but that's what they do. And eventually, even though 
uh, Connor, or, you know, the Mayor Pete looking guy with his hookers, he hasn't changed at all and he hasn't aged at all either. But his son grows into this like sloppy college kid with an acoustic guitar. He looks like Donkey Lips from Salute Your Shorts. And <laughs> so his son Donkey Lips is this sensitive boy. And uh, he tries to visit his dad coming home from college and his dad's not around. So, uh, you know, the, the nurse happens to drop by because she still tries to keep in touch with Connor for some reason, even though she Why? knows he's utter yeah. scum. There's no reason. She's in love. She's married. Her life is great. There's no reason to stay in touch with him at all. And yet she does. And she's still involved in his life in a peripheral way, even though Connor clearly doesn't want her around either. So all these things are happening, basically. And also her paranoiac husband who was protecting his fluids. You wouldn't think he'd be like, yeah. Oh, you're going to see Connor? That seems great. Okay Sounds totally normal. <laughs> yeah. So this is, it's just odd. And then, but it all builds to this ending, which you want to talk about an ending. This is the, this is the only thing for me that rivals the love scene in, in uh, not quite lion eyes. So, Finally, uh, Doug Phillips, who doesn't have AIDS but is still very old, dies. And as promised, Nurse Brenda inherits his estate and becomes sole executor. And so finally, everything comes to a head. And we have Connor, who's still a scumbag. We have Brenda, who has learned to love and is now in charge of this money. And we have, uh, still floating around the background, Connor's son, Donkey Lips. And then, of course, there's the mobsters, which at this point I had kind of forgotten that that was part of the plot. But here we are. And so they have this big old confrontation. So where did you think this was going? This is what I wonder. Did I, you have a guess? Yeah, my guess was that, like, Nurse Brenda would inherit the money. Connor would be on, like, skid row because his lifestyle's finally caught up to him. And she would deny him the money. And then either mob would come for him or he just got to float away. And then Brenda would uh, like adopt donkey lips as her own son, you know, and and take care of him as if he was her own. That's what I thought. See, I, I kind of I, I saw the money thing coming. I'm like, I bet you her like act of charity is going to be to to give Connor a second chance. They're not sure. I, I hope it's not fool enough to like make that into a romantic relationship because that would be an insane choice. Yeah. Uh, little did I know that insane choices were were coming down the alley, but yeah. they this is not the insane choice they made. But that's where I thought it was going to go, you know, a very similar thing where she's kind of going to be the mother to this son but does pay off Connor's debt just to be charitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so <laughs> what, what, does what ends happen? up happening is, is a lot weirder <laughs> than I expected. So all these things kind of line up. And what ends up happening is, oh boy, they're they're in they're in the 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 main room where basically all the billionaire action happens in this in this film, and Brenda's sitting at the edge of a table, and Connor comes in, and the mob guys are there. So it's Connor, it's the mob, uh, it is weirdly his son is is just there, and then Brenda's there, and uh, it looks actually like, I don't believe the son is there. Oh, he's not point. yet. He, yeah, he walks in in a little bit. So, so what ends up happening is it looks like at first, oh, the mob's going to kill Connor and Brenda doesn't give a fuck, which, yeah, that'd be reasonable. But no, like you said, her final act of charity is uh, she, she ends up giving his debt, which is ballooned to like $3 million or something, gives it, pays it off, pays it off. And a- along with 
the son who kind of comes in and he, I think the son is the one who actually hands the money over to the mob. And then again, like the movie could just end like this and Connor's debt could be paid, but he's still a low life. And th there's like dramatic ways to tie this all up, but we get, we get twisted instead. So what happens next is the mob guys go, well, you paid us off and we promised we wouldn't kill you, but we're still going to kick your ass. So the, the enforcer guy starts punching the shit out of Connor and then he says, joke's on you, I've got AIDS. <laughs> so to recap, we had a random AIDS reveal, and then that AIDS reveal was taken away from us, but then we end with another AIDS reveal, which I can only assume is, is true in this instance, and then somehow it gets better, because the mob yeah. leaves with the money, and... Connor leaves and he's got AIDS and you think well that was kind of goofy and weird but I guess it could just end on this note and then nope because Donkey Lips stands up and Brenda stands up and Brenda the nurse makes out with Connor's son Donkey Lips roll credits end of movie God bless yeah. Doug Phillips yeah yeah so this time in this movie you might think oh this isn't that weird she's like 35 but no she just looks 35 but she's actually like 60 yeah because uh, this again this movie uh it starts in 1990 and i believe it ends in 2011 so the kid isn't alive for a portion of the movie i i'd say conservatively he's he's 19 to 20 years old um so she would be we'll put her we'll we'll be generous and say she's 30 when this uh this movie starts i'd say that's quite generous uh but so that would put her at 51 uh at, at yeah. the time of this so she's now hooking up with a 19 to 20 year old kind of kind of disgusting mm -hmm. um but nobody ages cuz what Doug Phillips is probably his character is probably supposed to be like I can't. I guess he's supposed to be younger than he actually is because I think they. She says he's in his seventies when he yeah. keels over dead. So what did he go uh, to? He went to Vietnam when he was twelve. <laughs> right. So I think he's he's in his we'll say late fifties at the start of this film. So we go from uh, a thirty-year-old banging someone who's pushing sixty to uh, a. A fifty-year-old uh, banging a twenty-year-old. It mm -hmm. all it all comes full circle. It's yeah. a May to December to May type yep. uh, deal here. Circle of life, just like the Lion King. A lot, pretty similar in a lot of ways if you think about it. Uh, but yeah, I, again, if you're listening in, I hope I hope you actually had a chance to watch this one. It's it's incredible. I, I you have, probably I have... <laughs> you probably confused as to anything we're saying if you did not. Yeah, if you did not. Like, what? Wait, what? What's happening? Wait. <laughs> It's too much plot. It's too, too much, much plot. It's too I much. I mean, it's not, but for our purposes, it's, it's trying to do much. a recap of this film is insane. Oh, it's impossible. It's impossible. But it, it works as a movie because it, it's so dizzying, all the stupid things that are happening, and then there's just these moments of like stupidity explosions that just, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. Shout out to Doug yeah. Phillips. Well, Doug and Phillips Doug also Phillips. tells a mean nom tale as well, I will say. He does. His, his fucking tales of the VC are just epic. Yeah, which the movie likes to really drive home for a, a good chunk of the runtime. Run but, you know, Doug Phillips as a person, we don't know a ton about him other than he's he's a filmmaker that's been working for quite a while. He's done a few, like, mainstream things, but not in, like, a major capacity. 
Um, I read an interview with him where he said he wrote a script and optioned it, but the movie was never made, which I don't know if I believe that, but sure. Uh, the one thing you need to know about him is he's a faith-based filmmaker, uh, d- deeply conservative. I thought this movie was Canadian, but uh, Doug Phillips is actually from Green Bay, and I think he mostly works out of the Twin Cities in uh, Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, like all great filmmakers, Doug Phillips got into filmmaking to own the libs. So he, he says uh, straight up that he wanted to raise awareness to issues that are seldom talked about in any films or that are normally dismissed only with the liberal worldview take on them. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it sucks because this is the only movie in existence that has ever said that there are consequences for sleeping with hookers. And uh, that's that's about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, what? What is? What is the lesson that we're supposed to take away from this? Like, don't get involved with the mob and sleep with a bunch of hookers, or you'll get AIDS and get beat up. Right? That's the lesson. Or is the lesson nice. just be a good person and maybe one day you can bang your ex fiance's kid? I I don't know. I mean, the the main character was running a grift on uh, an old. Doug here and and there's yeah. no consequence for that really no i guess that Run, running grips without sort of consequences innocence. running grips without consequences seems like more of a conservative worldview so maybe that's the that's what we're supposed to take away that is uh, pretty much the uh, ideal capitalist worldview <laughs> that is all the capitalism is some sort of long-running grift without a consequence exactly uh so yeah it makes sense to me to to a degree i I don't know. I, I don't care what the message of his movies are. Bring no. me more of them. Bring, bring, bring me, me all of them. Bring it all. Bring it all. Just shower me. Shower me in Doug Phillips. All as, right. <laughs> as someone who, who could be described as a lib, I don't care, man. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I, you do own me, Doug. You yeah. own me. You own Heart us all. Soul. You own us both. All right. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, for me, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're probably in lockstep with, with me on this one, but uh, uh, first movie the uh, the land of college profits i would call that an atrocity uh whereas i would say not quite lion eyes uh, not just a curiosity but a, a great film that everyone should watch absolutely absolutely 100 get on this doug phillips train because once it leaves the station it's unstoppable you want to get on early so you can you know you can tell all your cool friends that you you were hip to the doug phillips before everyone else uh <laughs> so myros you know we've told everybody make sure you're, you're watching this movie but what are we going to be watching for the next episode? That's the big question in everyone's mind right now. Uh, well, I fucked up your plans for a themed episode. You did. I you did. Forgot about it. This is, this and, is a double uh, fuck up on your part because we had to watch a different movie because your movie got delisted again, and now you, you don't have a movie for my theme, so we have to do something different again. Ugh. How do I, how do I deal with this lack of professionalism? Well, let's hope this fuck up turns out as well as the last one. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can't take any chances of, of stumbling onto so good it's bad, so I'm going to pick... Something that can't possibly be good. Uh, Chop Chop Chang colon Operation Chimp. Oh, that sounds racist. <laughs> I I don't think it's racist. I just, just think it's <laughs> fucking dumb as shit. I, okay. it, it appears to be like a PowerPoint presentation of oh. like like a historical like farce where it's like 
all of the great events in American history involving a karate ape or something. Oh, great. Okay, that's that's fine. That's not racist. Yeah. I just, you know, I uh, there's a few things in that title where bells started going off because with some of these yeah. movies, you, you tend to dive into that territory uh, unintentionally. Uh, well, it, it's an actual monkey, so yeah. I don't know how racist it could get. Sure. I, yeah. Well, you know, always hope for Asian stereotypes. All right, for me... I'm going to go in a direction that I, I haven't spent too much time with, which is the intentional comedy. And I'm hoping that this movie lives up to its name. But my choice for the next episode is a little film called Craptastic. Uh, well, we've done well with fecal films in the past. Yeah, so it's, it's fecal. It's supposedly a comedy. It looks like, I don't know, like low rent jackass or low rent sketch comedy or uh remember you know vince offer the slap chop guy and he made the underground comedy movie it kind of looks like that but made for twenty dollars so we'll see how that goes uh he also made a sequel to that i never got oh, yeah. around to it maybe Crap-ta- it's on prime yeah craptastic too uh, yeah well, I, i'm not crap the, the underground comedy movie oh he did okay there's yeah, also a craptastic too oh great yeah, uh, which I, I actually thought about just going straight to Craptastic 2, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to cut you some slack and hope that the, the original is better. Uh, you know, be- and before I do our plugs here as well. Uh, oh, the, the underground comedy movie sequel is called The In-App-Appropriate Comedy. Like oh, phone like app. apps, like apps. Yeah, because apps are funny. I forgot. That's yes. cool. Wow. Shout out to Slapchop Vince Offer. All right, Myros, and just just to clarify, just to clarify, uh, you chose a Stone Cold classic this week, so I, I'm going to go ahead and take the win. Is that fair? I think we all won, but yeah, yes, well, you can have a win. We're all winners, but okay. So and so, am I? Am I two up on you now? You're two, two points up. ahead. You're two right. up. Feels good. I'm, I got I got some momentum going. I like it. I'm going. I'm going for three. All right. So if you are listening to this podcast right now, first off, thanks. I hope you got some some good Doug Phillips in your diet. I hope you check out more Doug Phillips. Uh, just consume all the Doug Phillips that you possibly can. Also, before you go consume more Doug Phillips, there is a link in this episode description that I want you to click that'll take you to our iTunes page. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Give us five stars. Do a quick written review. Just say, hey, uh, cost of content's great. I love Doug Phillips. Real quick. That's all we need. And when you write those reviews, it really helps us out a lot. Uh, helps boost the, the the profile of the show. More people can discover it. The more people that discover the show, the more listeners we have. More listeners we have, the more stuff we can do for you. So please do that for me. If you want to find us on social media, at Optimism Vaccine is our Twitter handle. You can also tweet at me, at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. If you have any emails you want to send us, death threats, comments, questions, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. And because Myros isn't really on social media, he'll probably answer those. So there you go. We got to come up with some sort of hashtag to get uh, Doug Phillips uh, back on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Hashtag free Doug Phillips. Yeah. That's that's what we need right now. So make sure you, you tweet that for sure. All right. We well, get directed Amazon. <laughs> directed Amazon. Directed Jeff Bezos. Bezos, who uh, also fun fact about Jeff Bezos. He only follows one account and it's his now ex-wife who has unfollowed him. So that's fucking hilarious. All right, guys. We will be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening and hashtag free Doug Phillips. Doug Phillips.